IFSTA is dedicated to advancing firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, instructor resources, and student study materials. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training content has made us a fire service leader. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Hello there and welcome to Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio and this episode of the Professional Volunteer Fire Department, the podcast that is dedicated to our great volunteer fire service, but it's also dedicated to the idea that true professionalism is never defined by a paycheck. And developing, displaying, and maintaining a professional image and reputation are the duty and responsibilities of all firefighters. Tom Merrill here. Thank you again for listening in. I want to start off with something I talk about every time at this year. In fact, I did it at the end of my last show, but I had a listener send an email to me and he told me he missed what I said because at the end of the show, he assumes I'm going to give my contact information and phone numbers, email, that type of stuff. So he just turned off uh, the podcast and he missed my message that I do um, every time at uh, this time of year. And I'll, I'll do it again if you don't mind. And that's simply that, hey, it's a reminder that it's the holiday season. I know you know that. And certainly I want to extend my best wishes to all of you for a very happy holiday season to enjoy with your family and loved one. But as we enter the season, I need you to again remember that in addition to being a great time of year and a very festive time of year, you could call it a month of tragedy as well, because the holiday season has also been witnessed to many serious fires, tragic fires, unfortunately, many line of duty deaths and civilian deaths. And listeners to this podcast certainly know I do talk about it. Um, as I mentioned every year, I actually dedicated an entire podcast to that topic um, a couple of years ago. Um, I had Chief Lasky on back in December of 2020, and we talked about the fires of December. Heck, just last week, my department experienced a very serious fire, garage fire spread into the house. Fortunately, the elderly couple just made it out of the house, but they did escape. Um, and the crews, the fire crews, with a very carefully pre-planned, scripted, and coordinated automatic mutual aid agreement, had a quick knockdown and a successful outcome of that fire. And we've talked about that on the show. The alarm office where I work is given the flexibility 
to just do what they need to do to hit that auto aid and go with it. There's no micromanaging. If they got a feeling it's a working fire, they're going with the auto aid. And in my area, we'll kill it with manpower, with people power. So that's what happened last week. And everybody went home safe and sound. And as a matter of fact, I drove one of my one of our pumpers to the fire. And on the way back, I was backing, uh, getting ready to back into the apparatus bay. And I turned and looked at my crew and said, you know what the, the best part about this fire is? We're all coming home safe and sound to our families. And and they all agreed about that. And um, unfortunately, though, two days before that, one town over from me, but in an area dispatched by the alarm office where I work, they had another serious residential fire. And unfortunately, a 62-year-old female resident did not make it out of that house. Uh, it was a fatal fire. Um, again, there was a rapid and very strong response from the local fire department with auto aid immediately dispatched at the same time. Very competent and well-trained firefighters arrived very quickly, went to work, made a push, found the victim, but unfortunately she, she succumbed to the injuries. And that served as a stark reminder of this important but very dangerous and sometimes tragic work that we are involved in. And sometimes, you know what? It can be lost in the day-to-day mundane routine alarm call, the day-to-day bitch at the bar, right? The local politicking going on in the club room. You didn't get the bylaw you wanted passed, so you're all mad about that. And then something like this happens to remind us, hey, we're in a very serious business, a very dangerous business. And when it's go time, we have to be ready to go. We must be ready to perform. I always think back to my friend, Mike Lombardo. Many of you know Mike Lombardo, no, Buffalo former chief and commissioner. Great quote. The longer it's been since your last fire, the closer you are to your next fire. So we got to be ready. And I don't want to focus on, you know, be depressing that it's a happy time of year, but I think it's important to take a moment to remember those we lost over the years, to remember the stories. And there's an old proverb, right, that you've heard me say before, as long as we speak their names, they're never forgotten. So we owe it to those who served before us and in some cases sacrificed so much to remember them. That's why I think it's important to have photos up in the firehouse and identify who's in them, review with your members, especially newer members, who was who in these photos, who's still around, what did they do? And my God, if you had a line of duty death, you better have some memorial up, some pictures and tributes to that unfortunate or those unfortunate firefighters because they their legacy should live on forever and be known to the members today as much as they were from the, by the members of yesterday. It's just the right thing to do. And it's also important, I believe anyway, that as a professional firefighter, that we understand that there are lessons to be learned from these tragic fires, from each and every one of them. Lessons that can still help us with the way we do things today. And we would dishonor those who suffered either the loss of their property or the loss of a loved one or suffered horrific injuries, or again, a line of duty death. We would dishonor them if we don't pay attention to these valuable lessons that are there for us to take away from these tragedies and hopefully hopefully help prevent them from happening again today on our shift on your next run in your volunteer firehouse. So please take some time, learn from these fires, talk about it with your sisters and brothers down at the firehouse. The Coconut Grove fire, it was the end of November, 1942. The holiday season was just beginning. 492 people died. The Lady of Angels fire in Chicago, they killed 92 students and three nuns back in 1958. 
the Union Stockyard Fire. It was a long time ago in 1910. It killed 21 Chicago firefighters. You think there's something we can still learn today? Go learn about it because you will learn something that can still affect how we do things today. The Worcestershire, Massachusetts fire, right? Killing six firefighters back in 1999. And just a couple weeks after that in 1999, Keokuk, Iowa, Three firefighters were killed and three children were killed. And there's very, very good lessons, if I can call it good, to learn from these fires. Not far from my hometown, the horrific uh, attack, the ambush, Christmas Eve in 2012, where two firefighters were killed in the line of duty and two others were horribly wounded by a maniac. And these firefighters were responding to a routine residential uh, vehicle and house fire. And in my own hometown, Buffalo, New York, something I still remember so vividly. I was a 20-year-old college student back in 1983 when I felt my house shake. I was putting a stereo together. That's how I can remember exactly where I was. It was my Christmas present when my house shook because there was a massive propane explosion that killed five firefighters in Buffalo. And I could go on and on. I mean, think Pearl Harbor. You don't think about the Pearl Harbor attack, December 7th, 1941. Well, in addition to 2,400 civilians or military personnel being killed, there were 16 firefighters killed during that attack, trying to contain the fires, just doing their job. December's a brutal month, and all of these stories serve as a powerful reminder of the very real dangers and unpredictability of this job that we do. And yes, it's a job, folks. I know we're volunteering, but it's a job. So by reading about these fires, and these firefighters and their sacrifices, we honor them, we tribute, we pay tribute to them, and we help protect, I think anyway, a new generation of firefighters because, as is often said, those who fail, from hist- fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that is so true in war, in politics, in life, and it's certainly true in our fire service. So keep that in mind as we go through the month. Learn the names, speak the names, understand the stories, because it's so important that we do that. And again, if you want to hear more on these fires, it was my show from December in 2020, December 22nd, 2020. I had Chief Lasky on. We talked about the fires of December, and you can get them. They're on my YouTube channel, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. They're on my website, theprofessionalvfd.com. Everything's in chronological order. You can go on and listen there. And um, I just thought I'd mention it again because this listener contacted me to say, I didn't hear what you had to talk about at the end of that show. So that's why I did it again. And speaking of contacted me or contacted me, I've had a lot of you reach out to try and get a copy of the book that came out, uh, released back in September, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. I've been signing copies, shipping them around the country, which I'm so excited to do. It's just, I'm amazed that, um, that, you know, that this is in print, that I was able to do this. It was a something I'm so proud of. It was a four-year endeavor. And thanks again to Fire Engineering Books and Videos for helping me along. You, you can go to Fire Engineering Books and Videos and get a copy of it. Contact me. My contact info will be at the end. If you want a signed copy, I'd be happy to send one out to you. So um, just uh, just very humbled and honored to have done that and, and to be passing them out and selling them around the country. It's an amazing feeling. Um, and remember, as this year winds up, 
you can start focusing on 2024. It's not too soon to begin planning on attending FDIC, which will be April 15th through the 20th in Indianapolis. I certainly hope to see you there. I'll be there all week. I'm presenting on Monday as of right now. I'll be doing my four-hour pre-conference workshop, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department, and I love it if you could attend because I learn as much from you as hopefully you'll learn from me. I have always come away with new ideas and things to talk about. And we're going to be talking about building and portraying and maintaining this professional operation in our volunteer fire departments back home, about creating this culture that we want to aspire to both personally and organizationally, because professionalism does apply to the entire organization as well. And there's a number of things we can be doing, we should be doing, and that'll help us achieve that reputation within our community. So that'll be uh, Monday. Um, It may change, but I think it's going to be Monday from eight till noon. I'd love to see you there. So again, thanks for joining me. I truly appreciate it. I never take it for granted. I always try to put together a good show for you with some great guests. And speaking of guests, (laughs) got a good one here today. Um, I'm very excited to have him on. We're titling this episode, Be Worthy of Your Profession, because I heard my guest say that on a podcast not that long ago. Um, Plus, he talks quite a bit about things you've heard me talk about on this podcast, about what it means to be a professional and how it in no way, shape, or form has to do with anything about earning a paycheck. And if you've not heard of my guest, you've not been following one of Merrill man one of Merrill's mandates about being a professional firefighter. And that's in addition to understanding our history, it's paying attention to what's going on in the fire service world, staying on top of current events in the American fire service. Because if you're doing that, you undoubtedly know the name Frank Lee. I mean, this man is everywhere. He's been involved in so much. I hate to say it, but it's so true. You are a superstar in the American Fire Service. He travels the country. He's all over the internet. He's been on a lot of podcasts. That's why I didn't think he'd want to do another one with me. And I'm honored to have him on this podcast today. I'm extremely grateful. Um, His resume is long, but his accomplishments are even longer. He's been a member of the FDNY since I believe it was 1992, currently serving as a deputy chief or deputy assistant chief. Uh, Chief of Safety, I believe. He can update us on that for the 17,000 employees in the FDNY. He's uh, been Chief of Training. He's been Chief of their Training Academy. So many things. I could go on and on and on. He's also an author. He's probably competing with me. I didn't even think of that, Chief. Oh, no. But certainly selling a lot more books than I will. He certainly got much more uh, on his resume than I ever will. But um, I can't wait to read the book. It's on my Christmas list. I'm hoping one of my my wife or one of my four daughters gets it for me. We, uh, it's, it's definitely at the top of my list, and we're going to talk about that as well. But here's the really cool thing, and one of the main reasons I had him on. He's one of us. He's also a proud volunteer firefighter and has been for, I believe, over 40 years, and it's the East Farmingdale Volunteer Fire Company in Suffolk County, if I have that right. If not, he's going to correct me. But before I, I got to stop talking and get him on the show. Chief, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's uh, 40 years in East Farmingdale. I've been around uh, been around the volunteers for a very long time. It's where I got my start. And I'm, uh, I'm super excited to be on on uh, on your podcast. Well, it's an honor you. for me to have you. And the Chief and I were talking just before we went live 
We both had our uh, volunteer elections last night, and we were soaking up the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood a little too late into the night. Although he was hoping to sleep in today, I had to get up and go to work. So I appreciate you taking the time to be here. I know you're tired and going in 50 million directions. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm happy to be here. And election night in the volunteer fire service is a special night. Um, uh, it, it's a renewal of hope with new offices, and it's just... Um, a uh, fantastic time to 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 be a member of the department. And, yeah, uh, yes. yeah, I love it. Yep, and I like how people gather afterwards in the club room and socialize and hang out. And we were watching the football game and just having a good time and catching up. And would you imagine this? Before you knew it, war stories were flying. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it's pretty funny because it seems like it always it always regresses or progresses right to to war stories mm-hmm. of of when the younger members are standing around and, you know, and you're talking about fires that you had in some cases before they were born. Right. Where, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I had that. Someone said that last night. Well, I wasn't even born with that fire you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's really, it's really remarkable. And uh, we, you know, but we could talk those stories um, time and time again. And, uh-huh. you know, one of the stories we were talking about was a close call that we had where um, the ambulance crew came across this fire on their way back to quarters at like three o'clock in the morning. And when the first new engine got there, they were forcing entry to the door of a factory and the building, the front wall collapsed on them and causing serious injury to a couple of our members. Um, so two of the members that were on the first new line and the chief who was in, who was in charge of the operation were talking about it last night. And they're talking about that. They're going to have a drill. Um, on it this year because we were sitting around there and the majority of the members had no idea about this in our history. Right. And I'm like, and I said, you could add, it was another chief that was there, add him, each of you tell your part of the story. And that has to be a generational story. Our members must know all the lessons there are from this close call because close call investigations and sharing of close call stories prevents line of duty Mm -hmm. stories. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that was as close a call as you can. One of the members broke his back. I mean, it was pretty serious. Yeah, uh, yeah. Goes right along with what we just said earlier about knowing your history, appreciating it, and learning from it because it still is relevant today. Yeah, so much, so much of it is relevant yeah. today. And you mentioned the, the fires from December. There's, there's so many of them. And even if you you look back, even in uh, late late November. Um, the uh, the Temple Zion in in Valley Stream, New York, which killed firefighters Tate and Moran uh, on a that was Thanksgiving Eve, uh. you know, years ago, and that was volunteer firefighters, very young volunteer firefighters, um, and even yesterday, the so you know, twelve four was the anniversary of the Stouffer's Inn fire in upstate New York. That was nineteen eighty, so that didn't kill any firefighters, but it killed twenty four civilians and injured. 26 civilians in a hotel fire and was one of those seminal fires that changed the way regulations are for hotels and motels and places of public assembly that combined with the MGM grand fire changed the sprinkler requirements in those in those structures and the firefighters responded to that were volunteer firefighters so the fire doesn't discriminate um i, I know you've you've heard me say it and i know you say it all the time professionalism is not defined by a paycheck i get annoyed when somebody says are you a professional? Uh, you know, are you a, are you a paid firefighter? Um, you know, a volunteer or are you a professional? I'm like, no, 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 both are professional, right. career and volunteer professional. 
just because you get a paycheck from it doesn't define that, right? Um, it's about the mindset, being into the job, right? All those things that you always talk about. Right, right. You know, um, I want to just mention that um, you, you, you reminded me of something in my department about these fires that you got to learn from. In my department, one day I was talking about Hackensack, New Jersey in the trust roof failure. And I got these blank looks from my, a lot of members. And it taught me that this new generation doesn't know about Hackensack. And then I did some reading and Vinnie Dunn educated me about the trust roof trilogy, you know, 10 years before Hackensack, he had wall bombs. And then 10 years before that, there was a, a failure in, um, in, uh, at a car dealership in Wichita, Kansas, that killed a bunch of firefighters all, and they were all very similar. And it's almost like lessons didn't get passed down. So we did a drill at my firehouse that I actually would like to revisit about lessons learned. And we reviewed the Hackensack jersey to educate a new generation about trust roofs and maybe why now there's markings on new buildings that indicate there's trust roofs. So still learning today from these tragedies of yesterday. Trust roofs and bowstring trusses you're referring to, right? We still have them. There's still plenty of them. How many firefighters do we have to lose to a single type, to a single incident type, before we learn the lesson? Right. Why Why does another department have to suffer and learn the lesson that we should have gleaned decades, years, right. you know, years before? And that's why, uh, as you pointed out, you, you, you listed like 15 different fires. And I'm thinking about, yeah, I'm, I'm aware, you know, Keokuk, Iowa, all these different ones that you're talking about. Um, because we have to make sure that we learn the lesson that those firefighters paid the the enormous price, right. right, with their life. We owe it to them and their memory to learn those lessons. We owe it to our firefighters. We owe it to our families to make sure that we learn those lessons. Um, because... And that's why you have to read and be familiar with line of duty uh, death reports and, and the watch outs and what we've learned. Our procedures are written in the blood of, of our firefighters. And that's why. Let's not make it our blood. Let's let's learn from the procedures that are already written from our brothers and sisters of the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like I said, you're, you're actually paying honor. They would want that. They would want that. And you're paying honor to them. You're honoring them by speaking their names and learning these these lessons that are there to be learned. And it is just so important. It's not some boring history lesson. This isn't high school history where maybe you blew everything. This You're volunteering, or if you're listening and you're a paid firefighter, you're being paid. It's a very dangerous profession, which leads me into what, what I heard you say numerous times, and, and I'd love for you to expand on it. Be worthy of your profession. I love it. I'm stealing it from you, if you don't mind, because I think it's awesome. That's gonna you're gonna see that in some of my writings. I think because I just I just think it's great, and, and and it encourages me too because I've been the target of trolls and attacks quite a bit about my professional message, and I just ignore it. But when I have someone of your caliber come up and say the same thing, and with no input from me, you were saying it on your podcast and that we didn't even know each other at the time. So I'm like, okay, this is a message that's shared by someone who's a volunteer, but he's also a paid firefighter in the biggest fire department in the United States. So tell me what you mean when you say be worthy yeah. of your profession. And I, I write about that in, in my book as well. And I speak about it often because it doesn't matter, right? If, um, it doesn't matter if, if your bunker coach says EFFD on the back of it for East Farmingdale or if it says FDNY or if it says Buffalo or any other fire department, be worthy 
of those letters that are on the back of uh, on the back. And that means that if somebody comes into the firehouse and they they have a couple of kids and they want to see the fire truck, show them the fire truck. You might have had a bad night. You might be tired, whatever. But that's part of it. That means when you're out in public and you're wearing your department uh, issued jacket or shirt, that be worthy of that. Don't, you know. You are representative of your department anytime that you're out in public and you are wearing our brand. Um, make sure that you are worthy. And I say for the FDNY that FD, you know, the those those letters on the back mean so much more because the American Fire Service, to a great degree, looks to us for some of the stuff that we're doing strategically, tactically, new tools. We we have a robust R and D division that evaluates tools and, and equipment. We could put something out in the field on a Monday and know if it's good or sucks by Friday. Um, because we've already, you know, we've already done at least nine months, three seasons of testing on it, um, going to an average of, you know, we, we average seven fires a day in New York City. So, you know, be worthy of, of, of your profession and what we're doing. It's a noble profession. It's a calling. You hear that uh, spoken about all the time. And I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And for the volunteer service, I've been around the volunteer service since I'm seven years old. It's, it's all I know. When my brother joined when I was seven, they were digging up my street in front of the house uh, at home. And so I wanted to be a digger man for a little while. But I remember the and I was the only one happy that they were ripping up my street because I saw all these trucks and um, the bucket loader operator. He gave me a ride around the block. And I'm thinking like in hindsight, I think he's worthy. He's worthy of his profession because here he was. He's showing a seven year old. He's taking the time. Right. It's like helping the elderly lady across the street when you're you know, when you're, you're out and about just being 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 a worthy person of good character. Um, and again, that that's. Yeah. That should be that should be common sense type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but every once in a while, you see people um, doing stuff, wearing our brand, which hurts our brand, hurts our department, hurts our reputation, hurts our recruitment efforts. Um, yeah. You know, and um, you know, we just gotta be worthy. I think if you're if most people understand what that means, and if you if you follow that, the golden rule: be nice, yeah. uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. Uh, you know, we'll 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 do well. And then be worthy and mentor mentor people in your department. Train with them, mentor them. You know, it's it's all important. Volunteer fire service is is truly a family, and a lot of times it's a family affair. Right, right. You know, it's like Chief Brunacini always said. I've mentioned it on the show as part of my presentation. I call I talk about the social fitness skills that our people need. It's just learning how to treat people nicely, how you interact with people, how you look at them, how you address them, even your own members. Sometimes we lose track that this this is how we treat people in-house as much as out, out of the house. And not only might you, if you're doing it incorrectly, if you're being mean, nasty, not treating people correctly, wrong tone of voice, whatever, you're not just affecting your department's reputation, you're kind of affecting the fire service reputation as a whole too. So keep that in mind as well. So yeah, yeah without totally agree. Yeah. And, and then, so the other thing is when we talk about internally, right? So our internal stakeholders, our fellow firefighters, um, and, you know, when do we start teaching leadership, right? Do we start teaching leadership and, uh, and management from the first day a member joins the department or do we wait until they run for lieutenant? Right. And now they're a new lieutenant and we start doing that, right? So uh, I advocate for that we need to start teaching leadership and all these other skills, right? We worry so much about the hard skills, which is great. We need to. That's 
the strategies and tactics. That's the stuff that could get us killed on a fire ground today. But we also have to consider the soft skill, those soft skill leadership, where unless you're a supervisor, you know, and if you're in a volunteer department, whatever you're doing to make a living, if you're a supervisor, you probably have some managerial skills, some supervision skills, some leadership skills. But if not, you may not have that. Or our younger firefighters may lack that as well. So we need to implement some of that stuff, some of that soft skill leadership. And I think that's when in my book, most of the different topics that I talk about are those soft skills. In my book, I'm not going to teach you how to force a door. There's a lot of good books on that, how to stretch a line, those type of things. But there'll be fire stories that talk about some of those soft skill leaderships. Because when you... Even when you think of that, I, I was talking to Kurt Verone uh, not too long ago, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the popular and uh, uh, fire service lawyer that everybody, uh, pr- if you're into the if you're into the game, right? If you're into the fire service, you know who he is. And he told me eighty percent, roughly eighty percent of um, uh, legal action taken in the fire service is related to lack of soft skills um, and, and all of those different things. So. Waiting until somebody is a lieutenant is a little late in the game. And if we wait till they're chief, it's really late in the game. So let's mentor our people from the day they join the department in whatever that whatever that mentorship is. Uh, And sometimes that's simply by chief officers and others um, exemplifying what right. Absolutely. Power of your own example. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The power of your own example. And here's another thing. I think these soft skills, you have an opportunity to display them and work on them and get better at them in a lot of ways, a lot more often than you do the hard skills at a fire. Because those fires and serious incidents that, yes, you're a lieutenant, a captain, whatever, you've got to have good command skills and know what you're doing. But you might not have an opportunity to use those skills that often. But the soft skills, dealing with people in situations, pretty much every day. Every day, whether you're at home or you're at the firehouse, right. you have an opportunity to hone and make those skills better and think about, you know, how how you're going to be uh, better in those examples. Right. Yeah. A subtitle in your book, um, which, by the way, we didn't even mention the book's name, right? Cornerstones of Leadership. Um, but a subtitle is Training, Teamwork and Mentorship. And I wanted to dive into that a little bit. Um because I know you're you're very big on training. Um, I think that was the focus of a keynote address you did last year, a couple of years ago at a conference. Um, so how does that play into your your leadership philosophy, the training? Well, so training is the cornerstone. It is the heart and soul of every single organization on the planet. Um, if if someone didn't know how to use a, a, a you know. A webcam, we wouldn't even be doing this today. If so, right, if you didn't have to turn on a computer, if you're not, if you don't have that training and education to do the stuff that we have to do, nothing else matters. Every single thing on every single thing in the fire service comes back to training. Um, when when things go great, we credit training. When things go bad, we say we need more training. It's a, it really is. Show me a department that trains, and I'll show you a good department. Um, it all begins and ends there. Re- regardless, you know, chief of department, yeah, that's great. If you're training, that that's even better, right? But uh, right. even if um, other positions within the organization, they're all important, not minimizing them, but everybody needs to be making sure that we're training because that's how we ensure that we we leave with five on the fire truck and we come home with five on the fire truck. Right. Um, and, and that's the name of the game, right, is that we're going to save as many lives and as much property as we can, but we also want to make sure that 
we're safe, that we're coming home, that we're well-trained, that we're making ourselves uh, difficult to injure and impossible to kill. Yeah. Um, and, and that we do come back. Right. And, you know, that's, it's, that's important. No one leaves, no one goes on a call thinking, yeah, I'm not going to come back from this. That's right. not, that's not how it works. And on the volunteer side, I like to say all the time, you know, we know volunteer agencies are made up of maybe different job classifications. And, you know, we've all gone through the, uh, have those members that have gone through the ranks through chief of department. And now maybe they're 65, getting to be seven. They still want to contribute and there's still a role for them or maybe, some people, you know, um, can't be interior anymore because of a knee injury, hip, it, whatever, but they still want to contribute. Still important. They're on the training ground too, doing what they do, getting as proficient in whatever it is expected of them, whether it's driving, exterior operations, throwing a ladder, getting power hooked up back when we used to run power before everything was battery powered. But you know what I mean, right? It's important for everyone that's in that department to embrace training and be on that training ground at the fire drill at the firehouse as often as possible. Absolutely. There, there are so many jobs on the fire ground. You know, we don't need everybody to, to be on the nozzle, right? We need people that are helping change SCBAs. We need people that are doing all these other different things. So uh, safety officers, people at the command post. What we do on Long Island in the, in the volunteer fire service, oftentimes an ex-chief, we, we tell them, all right, you're going to go do fire police. And we put them 11 miles from the building. They're directing traffic. They, they they got lit road cones that they put you know lit flares they're putting in road cones melting the flares they're yelling at the the people that don't listen to them because they used to the firefighters listening to them but the people in the cars aren't no put them at the command post they have a wealth of knowledge especially if they've stayed current right. that's where they need to be don't make them fire police right these 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 individuals ha- are just a wealth of knowledge and when we we sometimes just like forget about them and I think that's um that is so short-sighted because having several people that know what they're doing at the command post is vitally important. And our safety officers are all ex-chiefs. A lot of our ex-chiefs do, um, do some of our training. Uh, It's critically, it's critically important that we include Sometimes ego gets in the way. Wouldn't you say, I'm sure you've seen where ego gets in the way there. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll tell you, my driver, driver Joe um, at work, he's a ex-chief of my volunteer fire department. He was, a, he was a chief, I think, like 15 years ago, and he was excellent, and he's incredibly knowledgeable. Um, so he drives me, but I'd be – why would I not have him drive me? He's a wealth of information. He's thinking on the same wavelength that I am. He may be a firefighter in the FDNY, but he has experience as a chief officer in the volunteer fire service. And, and I utilize that because I utilize anything that's going to give me a tactical strategic advantage on the fire ground. I'm taking advantage of that. And Driver Joe gets that for me. He's an extra set of eyes and ears. He's got my back. He's got my blind side. He speaks truth to power. He's all the things. He's thinking five steps ahead of everybody else. So he's an invaluable uh, resource to me right. when we operate at a fire or even when we're not at a fire, even when we're just having a conversation. Yeah, he's got wealth, not just on ground, on fire ground experience, but in the firehouse too. He's probably dealt with a lot of different, you know, experiences inside the yeah. walls of the firehouse too. Absolutely. And he spent in his journey as a chief, he spent eight years as a chief and then another eight years as a company officer. He has 16 years in the volunteer fire service as an officer. Why would, why would you not right. um, leverage that for everybody's benefit? Right. I, you know, Absolutely. And that's what I do. That's why he's my driver. 
Yeah. And I know you've said you got to play to win on every run. I think you used a sports team analogy once. I've listened to your several of the podcasts that you've been on. So I took a, I take notes. I'm a note nerd, take notes, but I think I, you think you did the, the sports team analogy. I like to do that too, you know, by having a playbook, knowing what play you're going to do. And you said, I think the sports teams at least know when game day is going to be, we don't know when game day is going to be. We just have to be prepared for when it, when it happens, right? That's game day. And there's no, prepared. And and so game day for us is very different than game day for the person having the emergency, right? So game day for us, you know, if I say, what's game day, you're going to tell me, oh, it's a private dwelling, fire, fire on the second floor, out two windows. Where if I ask the, if I ask the civilian, what's, what's, what's game day? Well, you know, when my husband's having chest pains or when I'm involved in a car accident or when, you know, when my, when my daughter uh, falls and breaks her arm and we're thinking that's not game day. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is. It is so for them. we have to be ready um, all the time because we don't know when it is and it's preparing for the possible. And, you know, uh, the, the, the analogy with making sure that we're um, that we're ready is when you think about it, um, not only do, do we know not, you know, not know what the next run is going to be. But now when we think, think about, we prepare for finding somebody in a fire, right? We, we, we drill on search, but the reality of it is when I go and teach, I ask, raise your hand. If you've ever rescued, if you've ever had the privilege to rescue somebody from a fire and about 10% of the people raise their hand. And then I say, raise your hand. If you've ever drilled or trained on removing somebody from a fire or search, everybody raises their hand. So we drill relentlessly to perfection on something that only 10% of us will ever have the the privilege of doing in real life. And, um, and that is the anatomy. That is the very definition of being ready for game day because it comes at a moment's notice. It is a, it is about mindset, a winning mindset and playing a win on every run, every tour, every single time out there, because losing's not an option. Right. And I don't care if you're in the FDNY or wherever, it's, you know, it's the FDNY way. It's the Frank Lieb way. It's the EFFD way. It's what place your department initials there. Um, wherever I'm working, whatever company I'm in is the best company on a job. Uh, you know, that must be, that must be your mindset. Absolutely. If it's not, I mean, what are you doing? Right. You're playing to lose? Right. I mean, you know. Yeah. You said it several times. Success starts before the tones drops, right? Before the tones drop, success starts. So true. That's training is definitely, definitely what I say. Heart and soul. So I call it the most critical. I call it building blocks to the professional foundation. And I talk about that's one of the, if that cracks or fizzers, your whole foundation can fall apart. So if you're not training, your foundation is sand. Yeah. It's nothing. It's quicksand. Yeah. Right. Oh, so true. And I know mentorship is always something that's been very important to you. That's another part of that, the subtitle um, of your book. Um, I wanted you to discuss maybe um, how some mentors have influenced you in your career, both as a volunteer and in the FDNY. So even just talking about it from a volunteer standpoint, I'm, a, I'm involved with the volunteer fire service since I'm seven years old. I have seen people that work hard, that work one job, two jobs, three jobs, people that deliver the mail, people that are police officers, other firefighters, people that get up and they work hard. They, they, they work a full-time job working in a lumber yard, and then they, they get off that job and they go work a job as security, or they're going to school as an adult. You think about the positive role models and experiences. And 
for a young firefighter, you don't necessarily understand that when you're a young firefighter. But when I look back and reflect on that and some of the role models that I had just by seeing their work ethic and what they did to make sure that they were providing for their family, and they still they still had time to volunteer. I'm still, I'm always in awe of that, that, that these members of our community are able, they're civic-minded people that are able to go and work a couple of jobs and they still find time to volunteer. And I always give them the benefit of the doubt. And I always think back when someone does something that doesn't pass the sniff test in the, in the volunteer fire service, right? I, I think back, why did they join and where did they, did they lose their way somewhere or, or did they become jaded or did something go wrong along it? Because no one, everybody joins their volunteer fire service for the right reason. They want to help out. They want to be around like-minded, civic-minded people. Um, and having been around for such a long time, my early mentor was my brother and another firefighter, Mike Kilbridge. My first fire in the volunteer fire service was with those two guys. And I joined at 14 as a junior firefighter. Um, and then at 17, I, I became a regular firefighter. And I, I'm, they gave me the nozzle. One of them's backing me up. The other's the officer. And they showed me next thing you know, I'm part of their team as they're coaching me. They're laughing. They're having a grand old time. I'm nervous, right? But then I'm part of their team and they're teaching me along the way. And then I see a couple of chiefs that we have and I'm watching them from afar as they implement new standards, new standards that had come down from OSHA and others. And, and we were going to implement all these new training requirements. And the pushback was, we're only volunteer firefighters. Why do we have to get all these certifications? And I'm just listening to it. I was a young firefighter. I knew not to open my mouth. But I'm listening to chiefs like Charlie Crimmy, um, Greg James, and Joe Riley. And I'm seeing the heat that they're taking. But they stuck to their guns because they knew they were right. That's over 20 years ago. It's, it's actually probably closer to 30 years at this point that they implemented those. And they knew they were right that training matters, that having a standard, a bar, especially a bar that matches national standards, matters. And then I look to today, their standards, and people look forward to attending the refresher trainings on these um, early in the year. Um, and I look at the chiefs that, that we have today, and I, I look at um, you know one of the chiefs that we have today, Mike Kilbridge Jr., his dad was, was a chief. His dad was one of the members that was on that first hose line with me. Um, Mike, Mike Greco, whose brother Joe, and his 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 dad Joe are both members of the fire department as well. Um, Jimmy Quinn Jr., who his dad is a firefighter, and now Jimmy Quinn Jr., his son is a junior firefighter, and then Scott Lewis, who is also one of he's our chief of department, and his two boys are in the junior fire department as well. And you think about the lineage, right? Not only the the generational lineage of people that joined the fire department. You know, the East Farmingdale Fire Department goes back to the early 1900s. And a family, um, the Faust family, uh, until recently, has always had a member of the East Farmingdale Fire Department on its roles, on its active roles. Now, recently, two of them moved to Pennsylvania and joined the fire department there. And one of them moved out east and joined, uh, to joined the, um, the North Patchogue Fire Department. And is con they're, But they're still, all three of them are still contributing. But you think about that lineage, mm -hmm. and then you think about that lineage from a mentorship and training standpoint, and you think about who was your mentor within your fire department. On In the last three minutes, I've named like seven of them. Mm -hmm. 
And then you think, well, who was their mentor? Right. And then you start training, you start looking at it back. So when we talk about organizational generational success, and we say we stand on the shoulders of those that came before us, that's what we're talking about, is that we're making our organizations better than they were. Leave your organization better than you found it because the people that came before, think about the people who started our organizations. The the forward-thinking people that they were that organized our communities into like-minded, civic-minded people to help their community and how they got their training, how they learned, and to, and how how we progressed it to make it better and better and better. And in many cases, our communities have gotten bigger, bigger buildings, new technology, where if the members that started our departments could see what we did, right? And in my department, we have a lot of their names up on the wall. Many of our previous apparatus and all of our current apparatus are named for a member who was in the department. Last night, last night, one of the members who got elected to our board, his dad passed away not too long ago. They renamed the street after him by the firehouse. He had like five decades. And I, I actually, I think it was longer than that in our department. He had served on the board like eight different terms. He had been rescue captain. He had, he had done it all. And when they announced the results last night, I couldn't help but think like if his dad was here, how proud his dad. And and this guy had, the guy that got on the board last night, um, Joe Iazzini is his name. He had gone through the chief's office as well, took a couple of year break. And now he's, now he's going to be on the board, but that generational lineage of training, that generational lineage of families in the volunteer fire service, it's unlike any other profession um, that's out there. But you can probably link back your training lineage to the earliest members of your department. But here's the other thing. Today, with podcasts such, such as this and FDIC, as you mentioned, and Alan Brunacini, if you've learned from any of them people that you've mentioned, you then have a training lineage to them. So the challenge for you today and your listeners is to go out and have as many children as you can, training <laughs> children, right? where you're influencing and training and mentoring our next generation of leaders because it's, and it's not only the next generation of leaders, but you could be, you influence up, down, sideways within your organization, outside your organization. In the FDNY, one of my greatest mentors is Tom Richardson. Tom Richardson is a two-time past chief of the Deer Park Fire Department. Um, I've learned so much from him and I recently asked him, who was, you know, so he's a two-hatter, right? He's a city firefighter. He retired as the chief of the FDNY. He's a city firefighter and a Deer Park firefighter. And I recently asked him about one of his mentors. I said, you know, and I said, who, who's your mentor? And he tells me, John Vigiano. And I'm thinking to myself, of course it is. John Vigiano is a legendary member of the FDNY. And, you know, so when you think back to who's your mentor or mentors, right? I can guarantee you that you're not thinking of a slug right now. You're thinking of somebody who's into the job, not the knife and forker or whatever, right? Or the or the person who's just, you know, um, he's distorted or she's distorted on the reasons that they're there. Um, but you're thinking of somebody who was a high achiever, who was really good. The people that impact you, whether it was those three chiefs that I spoke about that didn't even recognize, they didn't know that they were mentoring me, but they were. Or it's the three people that are working two jobs or I'm seeing how they do everything they can to keep their family unit together. Those are all mentors at so many different levels in the volunteer fire service. And um, when you look at it, if we could put this on ancestry and look at all the different ways, all the, you know, I would have a training lineage to Alan Brunicini 
I have a training lineage line to you because I've listened to several of your podcasts. And and your viewers, all your, all of your viewers, all your listeners are children of you on the in a training sense. <laughs> and the more we have, the more we build out that web, the more interconnectivity we have within and out of our departments, the greater the strength is of the entire fire service, not just your individual department, because we are truly all in this profession together. Right. And, you know, the success of one is the success of all. Oh, man, that is so, woof, there's a lot there that's, that is really good. I never thought of it that way. You know, the, the children of you that, uh, and, and then you, I can, I immediately thought back in my own department of my mentors and who mentored them, people that I'm our historian. So I'm fortunate to know many of the names and stories, but I can already identify people who have been deceased for 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years. Yeah, 40 years, I can, who influenced some of the members that we still have today and who influenced me from that. You're right, right down the line. Amazing. Amazing. And that's the beauty. So one of the things with the volunteer fire service, right, is that people stay in the volunteer fire service until they die, right? If they stay in the community until they die. So you can ask those senior members who their mentors were, and they usually can also tell you who their mentor's mentor was. And you start looking at this, like my sister is the is the genealogy person in my family. If if we were able to do this, like you you would probably see that the roots of your department go back beyond your department. Right. right? We're probably descended somehow of Ben Franklin. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's in in whatever way that is, it all depends on who was who the contacts were. Um and then think about the people that have the impacts that have made tools that have their name, whether right. it's Hugh Halligan who invented the Halligan. I mean, if you're in a fire service for more than like a, a day, you know what a Halligan is, right? You talk about a generational impact um, across the entire fire service. It's just enormous. It really and now again, is. with technology and podcasts such as this, you know, uh, the the avenue to reach people and and uh, uh, and educate people. I mean, there's, there's no excuse not to train. Right. right. I mean, you can listen to this. You, you don't even have to watch the podcast. You can listen to it on your ride in. You can listen to books. Uh, there's so many different ways. Right. And it was one of the greatest pieces of advices I got. Um, on the very first day I walked into my firehouse in the FDNY, I was given two pieces of advice. Um, learn something new about your profession every single day. Um, and the other was learn, you know, learn something from everybody. Sometimes you're going to learn uh, what not to do. Right. Uh, and those are two pieces of advice that I've I've done uh, for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my good friend, Coley Moore, who has a book out called The Nine L's. In that book, he talks about that if, if you read something every day related to your profession, like an hour a day, and you do that for, you know, uh, I think it's three years, you become one of the best in your industry. You become an, a world leader in, in it in like five years. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been doing it for 31 years in the FDNY, with the exception of a couple of months after September 11th, I literally read something or listen to something fire related um, every single every single day. Right. Um, and I have the, um, the the honor that I do it for a living and I do it as a volunteer. So it helps me on on both fronts. But, you know, you could be someone who's just starting out. You're in a volunteer fire service and you're just starting out your career doing whatever it is that you're doing doesn't matter what you're doing, mm-hmm. but read something to make yourself better in your professional, in that in your career that you're getting paid for, right? Do something 
there as well, because that same thing holds true, whether we're talking about the fire service or we're talking about any other profession. And if if you want to move up the, the, the ladder in anything you do, well, the more you know about your organization, the more you know about your job, the better off you're going to be. In our profession, the more you know, the safer you're going to be, the better, the more proficient you're going to be on the fire ground. Um, and it's just vitally important. Right. Right. You know, you have that you have that tagline in your book about training, teamwork and mentorship. We didn't really talk about the teamwork part, but that's so important, too. And I believe the story you have on that is you've learned the, the concept of teamwork at one of your was it one of your first fires with the FDNY? Where yeah, so. Yeah, I learned that at a couple of fires. I mean, the certainly the, the first one, one of my early examples was the one that I had with my brother and uh, and Mike Kilbridge. That was the first one about that teamwork, which set me on that path of, of teamwork. But so many other so many other times, um, and you know, this one fire I had in, in 1993, February 1993, Kings Highway in Avenue D. Um, the fire's out a whole bunch of windows on the fourth and fifth floor uh, on arrival. Uh, the the hallway door is open. And um, uh, so we have to, we set, we charge the line. We're in the hallway. We open it up. We're ready to go. We're, we're inching our way down the hallway. And immediately my ears feel like they're burning. I'm like, I'm on fire. I'm, I'm, my ears are burning. I am as low as I could be. I have the nozzle. Um, I have my shoulders up trying to protect my ears because this is before hoods, but we had flaps in our helmet, but I didn't have my flaps down. I had them tucked up in my helmet because I had some firefighter give me bum advice and said, what you want to do is you want to be able to feel the heat. So don't use your ear flaps because you want to know when it's time to go. So here I am. I got a, I got a, a whole four months on the FDNY. This, I got this grizzly captain with 30-something years on. Um, and I'm going to tell him, hey, Cap, it's time. The probie says it's time to go because I'm, on, I'm burning up here. I'm on fire. I hear, I hear the radio transmissions for 1045s, meaning that they're finding victims. I hear the forcible entry teams banging away, opening doors. We have fire on two floors, and I'm on the floor below. There's trucks operating on four and five. There's a line being stretched to the fifth floor in addition to the line we have on the fourth floor. They're probably stretching the backup line. There's people all over. They're saving lives as part of a team, right? And there I am, the weakest link on the fire ground because I had bad advice and didn't have my flaps down like I should have. So from that fire forward, I recognized, first off, that I'm part of the team. And I never will, again, be the weakest link in that team. And I will always, and I do always, wear all of my equipment. And that includes fastening my waist belt and anything else, using my hood, having my flaps down, whatever it is that is going to make myself Difficult to injure and impossible to kill because you're only as strong as your weakest link. And there I was as the weakest link. And that won't happen again. And never has, in my opinion, never has happened since. On the way down from that fire, I have this big Kool-Aid smile, uh, deer and headlights combination look going on. And I see this old salty dog from Rescue 2. And uh, he looks at me and he goes, what'd you think of that, kid? I said, that was cool. And he's like, well, that was a 10-year fire. You go 10 years and never see a fire like that again. And I'm like, thank God. <laughs> as your um, ears are smoking, right? <laughs> yeah, as my ears are smoking. I'm like, this is, you know, um, 
but it's it's about the team, right? So the FDNY vigorously celebrates on Medal Day for the rescues that we've made in the previous year. And we celebrate the individual by giving the individual a medal. But it is the team concept. It is the team. And the team is there celebrating. All of the company is there. The photos all have all the company in it and everybody. And we vigorously celebrate that person because we know that when the individual succeeds, we all succeed, but they don't because no one succeeds by themselves. They have the support of all of their company. They have whoever taught them, whoever got them to the place where they are. That is what matters. And that's why in the FDNY, when we have Medal Day, if, uh, the staff chiefs, the chiefs, all the companies, everybody shows up. There's banners celebrating them with the company logo. It's the individual. It's the company. The FDNY procedures are written in the team concept with the individual expected to fulfill and carry out and execute the mission, his position, to the success of the entire team operation. So the member who's searching above with the hose line operating on the fire floor understands unequivocally that that hose line will do whatever it takes to make sure that the fire doesn't progress upstairs, that that member searching upstairs, although he's in a great degree of risk being up there to save lives, he knows or she knows that and has the trust in the in the training and the people that are below them that they are going to do their job and execute their assignment for the betterment of the team. So when one succeeds with rescuing somebody, it is a team win at the end of the day. And that's how our procedures are written. And honestly, that's how all procedures are written. Um, all of our textbooks are written where individuals are executing for the benefit of the of the team and rescuing lives and saving property. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can see where these three things are so related, you know, training, mentorship, and teamwork. They're all kind of related and start this progression, this path. You bring a new probe in mentor them properly, train them properly, and then they get the concept of teamwork, right? It's all related. It's all related and it's all important leadership philosophies that are all into interwoven into this. It's very difficult to look at training, teamwork, or mentorship, um, you know, just through a very narrow lens. When you look at it from a wider aperture, you realize that, geez, these are all interconnected and important part of leadership because that's how you go and make one generation better than the next generation. Um, because when you don't have that, that's why I say, show me a, tra a department that trains, and I'll show you a good department. Because if they're training, that means they're mentoring. That means they understand teamwork. And that certainly means that they understand leadership, because the leadership understands the philosophy of what makes a winning team. Right, right. And I know you're, uh, we've touched on it briefly a couple times. You're I think, I don't know you that well, but I get the impression you're as much of a history buff as I am, or at least appreciating your history, because you and I have both used that line, how we are standing on the shoulders of those who came before. And um, what does that mean to you? It, it just because again, you know, you get, I'm sure you hear at the naysayers, history's, you know, bunk. <laughs> and uh, I think you've already outlined so many important things about why it's important to remember, but is, is that something you like to teach new members when they come in to just, just take a second and explain what they're truly part of and how they stand on the shoulders? You mentioned you have the photos on the wall. Yeah. I mean, cause if you, if you don't, right, if you don't learn, if you don't learn that, 
that information about your people, then, you know, that's how, you know, that's how history repeats itself. Right. And understand that, that the hard work and effort of others went into it because we all say, right, make the organization better than it was. Um, and you, you mentioned Mike Lombardo, right? And I was um, recently in a suburb of Chicago um, teaching a class. And uh, Aurora, Aurora, Colorado, Aurora um, Illinois is where I was. And on the wall of their fire station, on their firehouse, had a member, every single name of the members of their department that had been in their, the entire member membership. Um, and I'm looking at it. And I actually took a picture of all the members that joined since uh, 2019. And I put that in my presentation and said, one of these members will be a chief in your department. Do you train them and teach them with that mindset? And then I looked and I saw four crosses. And I was with Mike at this point when we were looking at all of them. Um, and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, and then he reads what it says underneath it, where they were, you know, the date that they were killed. And you know, it was the Woolworths fire on for three of them. So took out my phone and I Googled the Woolworths fire in there. And not only did I learn about the fire, but there was a video of it. And this was like from the early 1900s. So I read it and they, this attached to their firehouse is also a museum, which was really cool. And I'm reading this and I'm learning about it. They had a wall collapse. The wall of the, of the um, Woolworths collapsed on their members, the front wall, and killed three of them. And that was one of the first fires that they had. Or they had also had masks at that point, some type of mask, because when they lost another firefighter five years previous, that was the lesson learned and how they changed. So now we're upstairs. We had dinner at the firehouse that night and two of their brand new members, their brand new probies, they have two months in the firehouse and they're busy. They're studying. They're, they're learning everything they can. They're saying, yes, sir. Saluting everybody. And I asked them, tell me about the firefighters in your organization that have been killed in the line of duty. Do you think they knew it? They did. That's impressive. They did. They knew it. And I was so happy because I, it's a pet peeve of mine when I go into a firehouse, no matter where it is, and you have a plaque or a photo on the wall of someone who paid the ultimate sacrifice. They're in your department and you don't know every single detail about that. You need to know those lessons so you don't repeat them. Right. And we know a wall falling at a fire, especially at a taxpayer strip mall fire, that's not new. This is a fire in the 19, I think it was the 1920s or 19, uh, early 1930s, I think it was actually. Um, you know, that's 90 years ago. And that's still, as you mentioned when you kicked off this, uh, off this podcast about all those December fires, those are relevant lessons today. And shame on us if we don't glean those lessons and learn them. And if we don't teach them to our newest members. And, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to Jeffrey Bryant, who was the, um, you know, he's got, I think, 12 or 14 years in that department now. And um, he was he was like a proud papa when they knew that. Right. He's been he's trying to teach these members uh, and his training lineage. Right. His mother and father are in another fire department nearby and they attended the training as well so you think about right so the, the training lineage is not just limited to long island and, <laughs> and and you know new york it's everywhere yeah and it's what you do with that and how you understand it and teach your newest members and preload all of that that history lessons in because it's the relevant history 
That's what it is, right? Um, if you don't know about Hackensack, if you don't know about the wall bombs, if you don't know about the auto dealership in Kansas, um, you know, and there's been there's been others. Place of worships are, are another one. I oh. mentioned the one in Valley Stream. There's, yeah. you know, we've and in the past couple of years, we've had several close calls in different parts of the country in places of worship. And when you say, when we say standing on the shoulders of giants, I can take that a step further. Just walking down your firehouse, maybe the new addition you have, maybe the new firehouse you're in, maybe the, there's people that put time, sweat, effort into getting you where you're at today. And in some cases now they're walking through the halls and newer members don't even know who they are or what they did. They look at them as some old man or old woman. What did they ever do? And they don't understand that so much of what you enjoy today was because of what this old man or old woman did years ago. And I like to tell my young, aggressive, good, good. I mean that very proudly good. And I'm proud of them. Firefighters. I like to remind that a lot of people that maybe you don't look up to anymore were exactly like you 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. They they say, hey, yeah. He doesn't get on a fire truck anymore. I'm like, bro. He doesn't get out of bed anymore. He bro, did he, it for he 30 had, years. He had, more, he had more fires in his first 20 years than you'll have in your whole career. Right. And, he, he, and he raised a family of four. Like, right. you know, um, be careful how you judge our older members until you know exactly what they did because right. you're so right. Have conversations with them. They'll tell you about the fires that they had before you were born. Right. They'll tell you about that they didn't have a budget that you have today. They'll tell you about the truck that was 30 years old that didn't have a, a crew cab. They'll tell you about all those different things, all of the blood, sweat, and tears, as you mentioned, that got them, that got you the things that you enjoy today. It's simple um, respect. It's you know, simple right? Respect. It's respect. Yeah. War stories are learning opportunities. If you learn from your older members before it's too late before you can't in in my department i love having conversations with our older members and, and getting and hearing the, the stories i mean i'm one of the older members now but through certainly through the years how I would, did that happen me too yeah, i don't know how that <laughs> happened but you gotta learn you gotta learn and and find out from uh from those members and you know our members when they pass away oftentimes we have a hall on the on the second floor of my volunteer station we have all their helmets mounted with their name and usually some type of description about them. Very so great. we know that, you know, these, these are the people that were the building blocks for our great department. And you do that for active members when they pass away. That's correct. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's neat. You mentioned yeah. something earlier, you name trucks after certain people Did you say, yeah. So we get them, they, we dedicate them uh, to, to a member. So we'll get a new engine. Like, uh, you know, one of the engines is uh, one five one in, in my station. And uh, when we get a new one, uh, we'll put a plaque on the side of it and we'll dedicate it to a member. Um, most of the time it's a deceased member, but not always. Recently, we dedicated several apparatus to members that were still alive, which is great because then they're able to enjoy that. The You know, they're able to enjoy that. Wow. They've done so much for this department that they've had an apparatus named, you know, yeah. uh, christened in there, you know, on their behalf. You know, it's it's really uh, it's really pretty neat. That's that's really cool. Great idea. And, again, and it's just a little plaque, so it'll still be 151, but, you know, members will know that it's dedicated to, um, you know, to that member. And my brother, who I spoke about earlier, my brother Bobby, uh, when he was 36, he passed away. Um, yeah. And um, uh, and he had a truck 
153 that was out of our an engine out of our headquarters that was dedicated to him. It's no longer in service, but um, they even he had a tattoo that they put the tattoo on the side of the rig. And even with their newest rig, so the new 153 also has that, you know, that tattoo. A lot of our members probably don't know where that came from. You know, if, if, if the history lesson hasn't been told on why we have that, but it's little, it's little things like that. I mean, he was not killed in a fire, but he was, uh, you know, he was a proud and and very much contributing member of the department up until his, uh, up until he passed away. Such Um, an honor. So nice. So it is, it is such an honor. So seeing that they've dedicated some of the rigs to our uh, members that are alive um, has, you know, has been, and they're able to, uh, enjoy that honor, I think has been really, uh, has been really cool. You know, this, this, this talk about respecting members, honoring those who, you know, years ago are doing what maybe some of the younger members are doing today. I call it building house pride, a, good, a firehouse, you know, with good morale, you know, the old saying, we fight more fires in the firehouse than we do at the fire ground. I get, I get quite, I'm going to, I hate to put you on the spot here, but it reminds me of a lot of emails, letters I get from some listeners. And there's a common theme that I've received quite often. And I'd like to get your take on it. And the gist of it is, how do you get rid of the good old boy and good old girl network in the volunteer firehouse? It's not inclusive and people feel that they're not being heard and leads to clicks and discontent within the firehouse walls. What would Chief Frank Lieb's advice be about breaking down the barriers to that in the volunteer firehouse? Yeah, my advice would be it starts with you. And you need to be, if you're an inclusive person and you start to include more people into your network, people will gravitate towards you. And eventually, um, eventually, you'll have a group of people that don't have you know, that aren't clicky. And you know what? And I'll, I'll use an example. Last night, so we have three stations in my volunteer department. And I went back to my station. I'm, I'm in station two. And we're there for about an hour. And a large group of our members from our station three firehouse all show up. And these are these are young all-stars. These, these, this group of, of our young firefighters at this station, they're fantastic. Um, and they're eager to learn. And they came there and extend the olive branch, maybe not the right, right word, right. But to break bread, uh, have a drink with us and hang out for a little while. They stayed for about an hour or so, but the value of that, right. In, in building relationships and, and camaraderie among the, among the people is just invaluable. And, you know, some members, they're going to be set in their ways and they, they, you know, it may be hard to break down some of those barriers, especially it's tough when a member's not active, well, you know, an older member that doesn't come around as much, maybe he, he doesn't see some of the younger firefighters as often. Um, and that becomes a challenge because, you know, I think I met this person, you know, when they came in three months ago, but I don't remember. Right. And then then you see them and you haven't seen them in a while. And if you have somebody in that middle range that's thinking, well, this guy, we haven't seen him. And he, you know, what is what does he do here? Like because they they don't know the person to even know. How, how much how much they've contributed um, to the department, right? The, that's that is that is definitely a challenge. But I know I I try and not always successfully to um, to make sure I bridge the gap that I do know our youngest firefighters and certainly the ones in my station. Some of those middle of the road guys. We have this you know uh, a really good group of of young people. I think of uh, my my current lieutenant Matt Ryback and. 
um, I think about like his his dad is Bob Ryback. He's he's our engineer. Think about that lineage again, um, and how they're good at um, you know making sure building those relationships. And Matt Esposito, another middle of the road firefighter, you know, in years is able to bridge those gaps. And I think the more of those that we have, because we need to be an inclusive fire service, every single member. Because when we're not, when we have too many clicks and all that all that stuff. Um, off the fire ground, that could lead to problems on the fire ground. Sure can. Right? Especially when when station pride is great, company pride is great. We should never be discouraging it. But it can be a detriment to the organization when members take it too far and they're saying, well, that other station, they suck, and I don't want to hang out with them. No, 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 no. That's, that's not how it's supposed to be. Some of my best friends growing up in the fire service were from my other stations. Because I joined the junior fire department with them when we didn't have that same cultural divide among the stations that may sometimes exist in, in some departments. But yeah. we need to make sure that we do what we can to eliminate that. And the station three last night, the people that came over, you know, it was the, the new captain of station three, their new officers, the, the, the rescue captain who's out of station three. They all came over and they probably have no idea how valuable that was to the many members of station two that was sitting there on, you know, because they'll reap the, they'll reap that reward in so many different ways. They'll reap the benefit of coming for that hour and extending, you know, breaking bread with us for on the fire ground on, on so many, in so many different ways when we're training, it's, it's invaluable. And, And I know some of them, you don't know that, but they're the, that's the future. That That's the future of our fire department because we don't, we have to make sure that we, uh, the other thing, right. For our older members, we need young members. If you're, if you're sitting, if you're sitting there in the club room, if you're in there and you look around and every single member has 20 years in your department, that's a problem. Yes, it is. So, so if you stay insular and you're not extending if you're not outwardly welcoming these people when they do join, well, then you can recruit all the people you want. You're not going to retain anybody. Right. Right. Yep. So think about how many firefighters join the volunteer firefighter that stay for that join your department that stay for five years. That's a that's a big benchmark, five years. Because now you've gotten all your training and you know who your friends are at that point. And if you don't feel welcome, why would you stay? Why stay, right? So yeah, yeah. you gotta build relationships, you know, it's important in the firehouse as much as it is on outside the firehouse yeah. in your personal life, right? It's and, building really, and, and what I like to say, And five and 10 year firefighters are expensive to, to get. The amount of training. Of sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what I like to tell people is, as much as we want the um, older member in that to maybe be nice and kind to these new members coming in. I always tell the new members, hey, don't be afraid to go up and introduce yourself. Let them know who you are because some of the older members might be shy or intimidated by the younger members. So, you know, both of you can extend the olive branch to use your phrase there. It goes, it's a two-way street. There's no doubt about that. And Mm -hmm. if someone's not going to, I mean, I'll do it. And there's times, um, and and last night I did it, right? One of the newer members, I I extended my hand and I said, hey, uh, my name's Frank. I'm pretty sure I've met you before. I, you know, I know, I actually knew. I said, I've met you before, but I don't know if you remember me. Right. And you know what? And then the next thing you know, hopefully that guy, that, that member is thinking, all right, well, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's good. Right. That should be a positive interaction. And we need more of that because 
and and that's where the the owner the onus of that right the responsibility to do that lies with the incumbent member the people who are members of the organization need to be welcoming they they need to create a welcome environment for new people yeah. because otherwise these new people aren't going to stay right yeah, nice night. My volley department, same thing. I, I'm so happy. We don't have separate companies, but in my department, we uh, gathered in our club room and the officers had to go out and do what they had to do to change, you know, new officers they had to get whatever yeah. they needed. But within a half hour to 45 minutes later, they came into the club room and joined with us. And I'm a commissioner and I had a couple other commissioners there. We had some senior members there and it was a great time. And that's one reason we got home so late, but, uh, you, that that was priceless. You know, we had the young, active, very active, energetic, strong, young firefighters and officers with the old guard, so to speak, getting along. And as I said, t- telling war stories. And uh, I think they'd all agree we had a great night at the firehouse and it fostered house pride. Yeah. And that's yeah. And you, you, I couldn't couldn't have put it any better because yeah. if we don't do that, we're going to accelerate our demise. Right. Chief, I know. um I know time's of the essence here. I just got a couple more questions. Are you still good on time? I'm good. Yep. I'm okay. good. I just want to make sure. Um, <laughs> I know you're you're a big family man. You talk about your family a lot. I, I did meet, I believe, I met your son and your wife, I believe, New York State Chiefs Conference this year. Yes. We had that great dinner with like 40 of us. <laughs> but um, you're a big family man. And as you know, that can be a tough thing to balance in not just the volunteer fire service, but probably in the demands of your job as well. What advice do you have to the firefighters out there about, you know, they love the job, they love volunteering, but you got to balance it with family, correct? What a, that is a great, that is a great question. Work-life balance is a challenge for, for everybody, no matter what you're doing, it is a challenge, right? At work, it's a challenge. You know, for me at work, I want to, you know, uh, all the holiday parties, all the things that I want to go to, all the boys and girls night out. I want to go to everything, right? Uh, any event, they're going to a ball game, I want to go. But you you have to balance it. And um, in the volunteer fire service, I have always, I have always said, I put my family first. And I love the volunteer fire department. I love my department. I love the people I volunteer with. Um, but um, I must put my family first. And that has at times um, not aligned with 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 some of the people up there, um, where I haven't you know I would be a period I wasn't as active because I went to my I was going to go to my kids games or I was going to help with their homework or whatever it is that I was going to do or I was going to make sure that I had time w- with my wife as well um, you know and I was working shift work you know so there was nights I was away from the house as well so you know. I, it's difficult. And if you're an officer, it's even more difficult. If you work shift work, it's even more difficult. And you have a family, it's more difficult. But um, I gave I gave as much as I could when I could, but I always put my family first. Um, and, you know, when the, when the kids were younger, it was even more of a challenge. But um, so, yeah, it's, and I, I know there's people, that I'm sure there's listeners that would disagree with that, that, you know, you got to be all in. But um, I, I want to make sure I still have a family to go home to, um, you know, throughout my throughout my life that I have. And I think that's that's important. And then include them in different things you do. So, you know, you've you've met some of my family because I because I bring them with me and um, and I try and do that. Um, 
because I spend enough time away from them. You know, not every conference or time I teach, they go at me. But when I can, when it's conducive to it, and in New York State one, uh, you know, Sue and the team that runs that conference is, is um, you know, they are family orientated. That's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and my family gets along uh, wonderful with them. And they actually look forward, they look forward to, um, to that event. And they do a great job at that event. But mm-hmm. um yeah, so and my daughter, she's a volunteer firefighter and a career fire marshal as well. Oh, so, wow. so when she's able to go with me, she, uh, you know, uh, she enjoys it because she's learning. Uh, my son helped me with the book. Uh, you know, he was he, he was instrumental in, in in getting my book done, and uh, you know, so so was my wife. You know, so it's uh, oftentimes a, a team effort. Include them, right? So, uh, if if you if you're doing an event. Um, and you have the spouses go, or the or the boyfriends and girlfriends go. Uh, you know, uh, you, you're building you're building that uh, that family network out right. in the volunteer fire service, and right. and do that right. Uh, the more events you have like that, the a summer picnic, and the next thing you know, everybody knows each other, the family, right. um, and then you have a real inclusive um, environment. Right, and you see that right. One of our members recently got married, and uh, a whole bunch of the members from the volunteer department uh, were, you know, were at his wedding. I think stuff like that, right. That doesn't happen. Uh, that doesn't happen by accident. There is intentionality of that within the department to, to extend our branches, break bread and, and get to know the people that you're putting your life on the line with. Yeah. Right. right. Um, yeah. You know, I'm gonna go to a fire with you. Yeah. So it's all very important to building that teamwork. Yeah. And that's all those external opportunities to build, the teamwork, right? We'll go, someone will organize, uh, we're going to the Islander game. All right. That's great. People go that don't even like hockey, right? Uh, but, or, or they might be Ranger fans, but they go anyway because we're all going together. Right. And I think those things, you know, uh, are important opportunities. Okay. Very good. Don't ever forget the family, right? Just don't ever forget the family. Yeah. yeah. And I know another thing that you're huge on, and I, I'd like you to touch on it is your focus on occupational illness um, and, and, and really taking that seriously. I believe you said, you know, our tactics have changed over time. You know, we've evolved with our fireground tactics and we got to do the same when it comes to protecting ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's so much we, we got to do better. There's so much that we need to do to better protect ourselves, better protect our loved ones. And um, particularly in the volunteer fire service, there's some wicked challenges, right? So um, we, you know, because we'll go to a fire and then we'll be soaking wet and smell like a fire and then we go home, right? So um, in in my station, it was built with a shower on the apparatus floor. Um, but for a little while, we used it as a closet, right? Now it's being used as a shower again. We have, you know, our past chief chief officers and board have been very proactive in getting us, uh, you know, I have two sets of gear. It's cleaned regularly. We also have um, washers and dryers in all three of our stations. So we've been pro- very proactive in, in taking care of those things. We have signs up telling our people what to do, making sure you use your mask, um, but have a shower in the firehouse and shower. And, and I carry, I have a, a, a spare set of clothes that I keep that if I took a shower, that I can leave the contamination at the firehouse and not put it in my car and not bring it home. Um, every time you get off the fire truck, you got to wash your hands. Fire trucks are dirty. The dust settles. 
the gear is is you know maybe dirty and even if it's not dirty we know that there's you know there's chemicals in there that we don't really want to be absorbing into our body you know we're trying to find better alternatives but until we do you know we need to be respectful uh of our gear and use it when it's necessary and clean it when when we can um don't touch hose with your bare hands um clean your inside liner of your helmet i, I mean even you should clean the top of your helmet but little Little things like that. Get a skin exam for skin cancer every six months because skin cancer is higher for firefighters. You know, general population is generally one year. Uh, go for medicals. My department provides me an annual medical. Why would you not take advantage of that? So early detection, right? You want to do all the things you can to prevent it. Um, but you also want to be prudent in making sure that if you do uh, get cancer, that you do everything that you can to uh to help yourself with that yeah yeah we've dedicated a couple of podcasts to that over the years um i think we're slowly getting the message out um and i think we're doing a better job and when people like yourself of your stature speak up about it you know i know people will definitely listen even more so it's important to get that where and again sounds so cliche cancer doesn't differentiate between career and volunteer no, and and we've had several members of my volunteer department that have had cancer. Yeah. Um. And you know, we we just we got to do you know we got to do better. And um, and I've lost uh, uh, many friends that uh, from cancer. And and I'm I'm tired of losing my friends. Sure. I'm tired yeah. of going to funerals. And I just we could we could do better. And yeah. um, you know, so many of these things are just low cost or no cost items. To just to just do better, some of them, you know, personal hygiene stuff and showering and changing and um, putting your gear in a gear bag if it's going to be in your car. Not putting your gear at home, you know, those are pretty simple things. And some of it's stuff we didn't even think of 10, 15 years ago, but now you you know what's right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wish there was someone talking about this uh, years ago when I joined the fire sure. service, but there wasn't. And part of that was. You know, we didn't have as much research as we do uh, on it today, but there's no excuse. Um, you're negligent. If you're if you're an officer, a chief officer, and you're not doing all you can to protect your members, you are negligent in your duties because your duties extend off of the fire ground um, and, and extend to this. But right. so, you know, we're killing ourselves off the fire ground when we don't uh, do what we need to do. And just we could we could do better and have those bonus years at the end of our lives when you could do the bucket list things that you want because that's what it's all about right i like that i'm gonna borrow that line too we can do better just like be worthy of your profession we can do better when it comes to health and wellness so true and um one last question before we wrap things up and i save this for last no disrespect i want to talk about your book a little bit if you don't mind um you know, cornerstones of leadership on and off the fire ground again we talked about training teamwork and mentorship but What's it all about? How'd you come uh, to do it? And maybe a few takeaways that can leave be a great Christmas present idea, folks, if you're looking <laughs> for that firefighter in your life, but maybe not even just a firefighter. Leadership applies to so many fields and to pretty much anybody anywhere. Yeah. Well, and um, <clears throat> and thank you for that. And I think, so The it's a leadership book with fire stories told it is definitely it definitely transcends the fire service these leadership lessons it's um each chapter has five takeaways um and then there's two additional ta takeaways at the end 
so there's a total of 127 takeaways. At the, you know, each chapter ends with the five takeaways, and then the the uh, list of 127 of them are at the end of the book as well. Because uh, I'm a note person too, and now this way the notes are kind of taken for me on what I need to know for each of the chapters. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it is a lot of the soft skill uh, leadership stuff told with some really cool stories and. Um, the book idea, I had, you know, given some thought through the years as people said, you should write a book based on this, or you should write a book based on that. And I, I did the, so I did the keynote for, for Firehouse Expo a couple of years ago. And, um, after that, people said, you need to, um, you should put that into a book. And I gave it some consideration. And that was the, the structure of, of, of the book, um, that I wound up, uh, you know, that I wound up putting out. And, um, it's uh, the 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 way it's been received from the fire service has been amazing. I've had uh, several people reach out to me that they wanna they wanna buy one for each of the people they work with, or a chief that wants to buy one for all their members for you know an installation dinner or something, um, or the chiefs that want to buy them for their offices or other chiefs, and it's uh, and just some of the some of the stories that I've heard. Uh, I some, somebody wanted me to write it. Uh, I had a I personalized the book to someone that he was going to, I addressed it to chief so-and-so and he was going to be promoted to chief and he was going to be given the book to learn that he was getting promoted. Right. I mean, just, it's been an incredibly, incredible. incredibly humbling experience. So yeah. um, it's been a bestseller on Amazon in several different categories at, at different points. And uh, so you could, you could get it on Amazon or you could, um, you know, you can email me first responder consultant at gmail.com. Uh, uh, and in the book, uh, and um, uh, is the a link to the link tree, which has all my contact information uh, as well. And uh, I'm going to try and open the book to it and and show you that on it. So that is the ah the QR code. Is the QR code? So my my son uh, said you need to put a link tree in it. So that is a link to to my contact information. A link, uh, you know, so you can. Find my email there and, and any of the social media platforms. That's that, awesome. I have daughters and my one daughter, actually my niece got me my QR code that I'm starting to share now on my, uh, at the end of my presentations and things. I need help with that type of stuff. So Yeah. Great. So it's funny. My, my son says to me, hey, dad, you never get to the end of your, of your presentation. So you should put all your contact information on your first slide. So now all of my contact information is on my first slide. Ah. I have it on the last slide too. But now if I don't get to it, you still have my contact He's smart, isn't he? He's smart. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm an honest person. I have not purchased the book yet. It is at the top of my Christmas wish list. And I'm pretty sure it'll be delivered by Santa on December 25th. So <laughs> I'm very excited. I love leadership books. You see the bookshelf behind me is filled with fire service leadership books. So I'm excited to have yours join the ranks of all the other classics that I have. So um, that's, that's great. And I, I, I can't. I, I know a couple of takeaways that I already got from you from the book that you talked about. Stay learnable, care for your people, and I just can't wait to delve into it more. So I'm looking forward to that, and I think I know what I'm doing Christmas night. <laughs> so, Outstanding! I so, love it. Um, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, taking the time out of your busy schedule, which I know is incredibly busy, um, and 
you've just shared so much great information. I know we could talk forever. If anybody did want to get a, a hold of you and maybe does couldn't scan your code, do you want to just maybe give your contact information again? Yeah, so you could find me on, uh, you Google my name and you'll find me on uh, LinkedIn and on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then email is uh, firstrespondaconsultant at gmail.com. So firstrespondaconsultant at gmail.com. And before I wrap up with a few final comments, any last comments you want to make about anything we talked about today, about this profession of ours and the the choice to be volunteer or career, it doesn't matter. It's how you perform and treat people and anything else you want to wrap up with, Chief? Love the job, be engaged, and it'll love you back. I've I've loved this profession since I'm seven years old, and I've put an awful lot into it, but I've gotten an awful lot uh, in return. And there's, you know, I, I wouldn't trade being a, a career or a volunteer firefighter for for anything. And uh, yeah, it's enthusiastic leadership. Enthusiasm is contagious and it starts with you and, you know, build your culture. You There's know, another line way. that starts with you. We can do better. Be worthy of your professionist. Oh, I got, I got more slides for my presentation now. Thanks, Chief. Yeah. Listen, when you, when you see the book, you'll see there's 127 uh -oh. of those, of those lines. I've had people tell me that they, they take one of the lines and email it to their, to their companies um, every morning that they that they come in uh, oh, to the firehouse, isn't so, that great? That must it, make you feel great. That's it great. Does. It's really awesome. Cool. I say we're all in this together, right? We're we're all in this fire service profession, career and volunteer. We're all in this. Uh, we're literally we're all in this together. And I'm 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 happy. I'm blessed. I I wear both hats. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so very, very much for joining us and, again, taking the time. It was an honor to have you on, and I look forward to seeing you down the road and uh, at conferences and, and, and workshops, whatever it happens to be. So thanks again. Thank you as well, my brother. I appreciate the opportunity to come on. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, again, my contact information is, <laughs> it's AOL, don't laugh at me, tamerrill63 at aol.com. And I also have my professional volunteer fire department Facebook page that you can get a hold of me on. I'm on Instagram and my website, the professional volunteer fire department.com or the professional VFD.com to make it easier. All my articles that I've written, links to the podcasts, um, links to purchase my book, which I'd be honored if you decided to purchase my book. Um, the professional volunteer fire department is available on fire engineering books and videos. It's also on Amazon and, um, or you can reach out to me and I'd be happy to sign it and get it off to you. But, um, my next show will be in 2024. Fire engineering hasn't released the exact dates yet, but it'll be a Tuesday, probably in mid to late January, maybe even early February. I'm not sure, but you know, I'll be posting it and I promise to continue to have another great topic and another great guest lined up. And as I sign off, I ask that you always remember that we stand on the shoulders of the giants who came before us. That's a message we delivered, I think, pretty succinctly here tonight. And it's both in our individual volunteer fire departments and in our volunteer fire service as well. Our history is not something to ignore. The events of yesteryear are truly something to understand, appreciate, and learn from. May I add, the events and people of yesteryear. And remember that we are living in a very dangerous, uh, we are in a very dangerous month, so please be careful. Stay as safe as you possibly can so you can all go home to your families and your loved ones. 
And I wish you all a very happy holiday season. Please hold your family tight and be proud to be a firefighter and be proud to be a member of your hometown fire department. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, our residents are owed professional service delivered by professional firefighters representing a professional organization. Take care, folks. IFSTA is dedicated to advancing firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, instructor resources, and student study materials. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training content has made us a fire service leader. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com.